Well, good morning. Um, as Pastor Roger said, I had the privilege of serving with our students this past week. And let me tell you, they gave me a run for my money. I'm a little bit tired and wore out this morning, but I'm not going to give it half energy, all right? When we declare God's word, man, we need to give it everything we got. And so this morning, we are going to continue to be in the book of James. We are getting very close um, to wrapping up. And if you guys have been with us throughout the entire series, um, you'll understand that this very practical book has some very hard truths in it. It as well, though. Um, so it is challenging us, um, and we're looking at how this godly faith, right, a faith that is centered in Jesus, is this is the faith that gets us through everyday life. And so this morning we're going to be talking about a faith that lasts, right? And I'm going to be in James chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 12. And Pastor Roger and I were talking about how the book of James begins, right, when it talks about there's these trials, there's these hardships, um, and how he starts there, and now he's kind of wrapping and coming back around to it. So is this important? Is this something that we need to really study this morning? Yes. Um, so as we open up to the book of James, um, I'm going to try to break it into two different sections this morning. All right, so verses 1 through 6 is going to be a warning to the rich. And then verses 7 through 12 um, is going to be patience and suffering. So it's kind of two different parts. Um, and so it may even feel like this morning as I'm sharing, there's like a first sermon and then a second sermon. But they do come very much together. Um, so we're going to look at James chapter 5, um, 1 through 6 here in just a second. Um, but I want to set the stage, right? These are the Jewish believers. They've been having these incredibly difficult times. Um, and even in chapter 4 that Brad was talking about kind of some of the harsh language, right? Um, in chapter 4, verse 2, he says that they murder and they covet, right? And he even got so bold to call them the adulterous people. Um, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Right, so this strong language, James is talking to these believers, right? And I think this is, we're going to see it this morning, right? He's telling of, hey, this is important, and this is a warning, right? So as we read, some commentators would even say that verses 1 through 6, he's maybe not um, talking to the believers anymore, that maybe there's someone out there, um, and I'm not for sure where I land on that, but here's what I do know. These scriptures are meant for us. These scriptures... We need to make sure we heed their warning this morning. So look what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So this morning... I want us to look at four different things, right? These rich people that he's talking about, they're guilty and judgment is coming. But I believe that as believers, we need to look at this and go, are we guilty of these things, right? So James is trying to make sure, right? Here's what the rich are being judged for, but it is a warning. So the first thing we saw, right? What are we not to do? We are not to hoard up and store up wealth. Now, I know what you're hearing in this this morning, right? Wait, I thought the Bible teaches us, right, to be wise and put things away. It does. But also notice what this is saying, right? These riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh 
like fire. Now, I want us to note, too, this morning, whenever we're reading these first six verses, there's almost a little bit of it sounds like Old Testament prophecy going on, right? The very first words, the weep and howl, right? That is the term for to cry out aloud, right? This kind of this pain that's involved. And it says also, right, for the miseries. Ooh, that doesn't sound good, right? But why is this happening? That's the part that we're looking at. And here's the reasons he's listening. These people had apparently hoarded up, and they were storing all these earthly pleasures, right? That word for rich there means abounding or abounding in material success. Hmm. Does that sound like us? We have so, so much. And here's what riches do. They make you feel secure. They make you feel like you've arrived. These possessions, though, what does the Scripture say? They will rot. They will corrode. And we know that garments, right, they fade. But notice what he also listed. Gold and silver. And these are precious metals, right? These are things that are supposed to have value. But James is trying to make sure that they understand, yeah, you know that these things will fade. But even the things in life that the world says has value, the things in life that the world says, this is what you need to live your lives for, what will happen to them too? They will all fade. And I want to make sure we catch this. James is not just condemning wealth this morning, but James is going to condemn the use of wealth and how you get it. Notice there's a big difference there, right? So we're not supposed to hoard and store up the wealth, verses 2 and 3 say. Look what verse 4 says. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out, against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The second thing, right, this warning for believers on why the rich were being judged, it says, don't hold back the wages. Don't cheat your workers. So apparently, there were men who were hiring out the poor and needy, right? And these people were in such a bad place that they didn't really have an option. They didn't have a job. So these people would go to them and say, hey, I need you to work, And maybe sometimes they would negotiate a price. Maybe sometimes they wouldn't. But they would work. They would labor. They would toil. They would do exactly what they're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, when it came time for payment, right, or maybe at the end of the week, guess what these rich people were doing? They were keeping back the wages, right? That word kept back means to rob, to defraud someone. So these people... They had no intentions of paying them. Wow, pretty hard, right? Notice what also it says. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Now I know as we look at these warnings, first one, don't hoard up. I can probably say that some of us, we've, we've got a lot of things, but maybe that one's not as hits us. Maybe we haven't kept back the wages from someone, but I want us to really look at number three. This warning, I think, was the one that I struggled with the most. What did it say? Don't live in what? Luxury or self-indulgence. These people were all about pleasing themselves. The word for luxury there means to live in pleasure. And as I pause, I think, man, I have so much. There's so many things that if I want it, I just go out and get it. 
And as we continue to look, right, James is making the point that there is a big difference between living in luxury because you've cheated someone and enjoying the blessings of God. So I want to make sure I balance that well this morning, right? God gives, and he gives generously, and he blesses his people for being faithful and being obedient to them. We know this truth. But also, God is not calling us to live in luxury while people all around are dying. And I know that many of us think overseas, but let me tell you, there's people here who are poor and needy in Franklin County that need us as believers to give them some of the blessings that God has given us. God is calling us to go and share and tell them, here's his message. So we are not to hoard up. We're not to store back. We're not to keep the wages We're not to live in luxury and self-indulgence. Verse 5 says, right, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Right, he's given this imagery of a cow being killed, right? Many times when they would feast or have a celebration, what would they do? Bring the fatted calf. And that's the imagery he's given of us or the people here in the text that we're going to be judged, right? This rich, the people. They just indulged so much where it was like a fatted calf. But watch what he continues to say. In the day of slaughter. Right? The, a term for judgment. But he's not done yet. He continues and says, you have condemned. You have murdered the righteous person. And he does not resist you. Wow. Right? And when we think about this, the condemning. Their actions, what they had done by holding back the wages, caused these people to die. Isn't this a wake-up? What a warning. But I want us to catch it. It's not just the warning, right? This is to make us be aware that judgment is coming. And as we look at verses 1 through 6, many of us can pause And say, man, I see some of these things happening in our world today, right? I believe that these timeless truths are not just for them. This is for us as well. And if you would pause for a second, you could clearly see that something is wrong with this world, right? But why? Why is this happening? Right? God, why don't you do something? Anybody ever ask that question? As we look out, we can see that there are people who are in pain and suffering because of our selfishness. Here's what I want you guys to see, right? Their actions will have consequences. But notice verse 7. And this is as we begin the transition, right? Verses 1 through 6 seem really hard. But I want us to know that God is faithful. I want us to know that God will one day right all of the wrongs. But what are we supposed to do, believers, until that happens? What are we supposed to do? Verse 7 tells us, be patient. And remember how we talked about verses 1 through 6, how some commentators think it was for the lost people and how some thought it was for believers? Well, let me tell you, verse 7, he makes it very clear. Guess who we're talking to? The believers. So this is how we are supposed to respond. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. As we look at all the hardships, as we look at people being wronged, it's very easy for us to get impatient. 
But James is going to give us three different illustrations, I believe. He's going to paint a picture, and he's going to use three different things to do it. Right? This is how we are to be patient as believers. So look at verse 7. Here's the first thing he says. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, point number one, right? Be patient like what? Do you guys catch it? A farmer. All right, so I'm not a farmer, right? But I like to pretend that I am, okay? So I am a gardener. And the reason why I like to garden is because as I grew up, my mom planted gardens. And I think that I was just the young kid out there who many times she just said, hey, go weed, right? But I learned a lot. So this is a picture of my little garden, okay, at my house in Pacific. So I don't have a very big backyard. And as you can see, it's really, really small. But I determined that I was going to plant a garden this year. So I cultivated the ground. I tilled the ground. And I even called my mom and my grandma. I was like, hey, when is the earliest possible time that I can plant a garden? Because I want fruit as quickly as possible, right? And I knew that summers in Missouri get hot and it scorches and kills things. So I called them up and they told me the date. And then I did it like a week before, right? I wanted, I wanted to make sure I had it in there as quick as I possibly could. And most of you who are real gardeners know there's way too much in this little space, right? But I'm like, I want it all. I want corn. I want okra. I want green beans. I want zucchini. Um, and so here my garden is. And if I took a picture this morning, you'd see that it's overcrowded, right? But I wanted to tell you something. As I planted that garden, this scripture came to my mind, right? These scriptures, and this is like an illustration three months in the making for me, because we're to be patient like the farmer, like the gardener. There's some things you need to know. Farmers are forced to wait, and farmers are forced to trust. Do they control the weather? No. And here's something that I want us to see this morning. That what James is really trying to communicate. This is the truth that I think he's trying to make sure that we grasp when he's talking about a farmer. Right? We need to trust God in the things that we cannot control. Listen to that. We need to trust God in the things we can't control. I cannot control when it rains. And let me tell you something. You see how the one corn is taller than all the others? Well, that was round number one. Right? Remember, I got really excited and I planted it all early. Well, there's, remember the rain? So here's my neighbor's yard and it drains this way. My yard goes down this way. Guess where my garden is? Right in the nice low spot. And so I got it all planted. The rains came down and about this much water was setting on top of my garden. Well, guess what came up? One piece of corn, right? One corn plant. And I kept thinking to myself, man, I did so good. I prepared it was out of my control, right? But as it continued to grow, and I almost took a bunch of pictures along the way so you could see the growth, but notice what it says here in the scripture, right? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. So last week, I was gone, right? But right before I left, my zucchini plant was blooming it had those bright orange blooms on it, and there was even the little bitty guys, right? And I was so excited, but I thought, oh no, I'm going to be a gone a whole week. What happens if the bugs come? What happens if the sun comes? But Friday, when we got back, I was exhausted. I was worn out. But guess where I ran to? 
right? I ran out to my garden. And I looked down. I was like, yes, I did it, right? The precious fruit had finally come, right? Months and months of waiting. And this one, actually, I cut this morning. So since Friday, I've cut four, right? And I couldn't be more proud. And someone even, not for sure who, put a nice little prop up here for me. I don't think this is real fruit. But as we think about the precious fruit, it takes time. You must be patient, right? And we must trust God with the things that we can't control. And honor God in the things that we can. Did you hear that second part? A lot of times we may get good at waiting for things out of or that are out of our control. But let me also caution us. There's a lot of things in our control that we can also handle. And notice what it says. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at your door. And as I was reading that, I thought, well, why did he put that in there? Why did he talk about grumbling? Here's the truth that I think we need to grasp. Impatience with God oftentimes leads to impatience with God's people. Right? If my garden would have completely failed, like many times things in life do, we look at God and go, why? And we get impatient. And when we get impatient with him, guess what it affects. Guess who it affects? Everybody else around us. And I think James is saying, hey, when you're being patient, don't grumble. Because we look at our lives and go, here's the hard things that I'm walking through. Well, God, why aren't they walking through hard things? And you see this grumbling begin to happen. So be patient like the farmer or the gardener. Notice what also he says, right? As we continue in verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, ooh, we don't like those words, do we? Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So as we're talking about who do we need to be patient like, the second one is be patient like the prophets. Now, there's many Bible characters in scriptures, right, great men and women of God who I admire, and I'm like, man, I wish I could be like him. I wish I could be like Daniel. I wish I could be like David, right? We could go on down the list, but let me tell you a few of them that I don't wish that I was, was some of those prophets. Why do I not want to be a prophet? Here's many of the reasons why, right? They had a message that God had given them, and they were to faithfully proclaim that message, but can I tell you what? That message was not easy. Guess many times what the message was. A message of judgment. They had to tell the people that because of their sin, God was bringing judgment upon them. How did the people react to this? Well, you can guess. Were they thrilled to hear this? No. They hated them. Many times they persecuted them. But notice what the scriptures are saying. When the world is doing wrong, and when we don't understand why, what are we to be? Faithful and patient, just like the prophets. Our message of hope many times offends people. Why does it offend? Because Jesus is the only way. And our world is telling us more and more that just put Jesus and everyone else together and it'll all work out, but that is wrong. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so this message that we are called to faithfully proclaim 
many times people will hate you for it. Our lives, though, must back up the message that we're speaking. Here's the hard part, and I want you guys to see this this morning. When we are faithful, fruit comes. But also, guess what comes? Sometimes pain and suffering. Isn't that a weird concept? That God would reward our faithfulness with pain and suffering? Why? When we are faithful in the difficult times, it brings honor and glory to our God. Let me repeat that again. When we are faithful in the difficult times, it brings honor, not to us, right? But to our God. And it brings glory to Him. This is why we must remain steadfast. And that word steadfast there means endurance. It means consistency. And that's what I'm hoping that we're hearing this morning, right? This is the faith that we need in everyday life. That is what James is trying to encourage these people who have been through so much. And some of you here this morning, life is great. And this is maybe not connecting with you yet. I hope you store this away. Because one day hardship will come. And for those of you that are here in it right now, the storm has come. I'm praying that your focus is on Jesus. Your eyes are fixed on him and that you can be patient like the farmer as the early and the late rains come. Because God will continue to be there with you. I pray that you be patient like the prophets who endured the hardships. And as he continues, right, he's kind of building this up. Look at the third example. In verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So our third person this morning, our third um, thing that teaches us to be patient is Job. I don't have time to read all of Job, but let me quickly sum it up for you. Job was a righteous man. He feared God, and God had blessed him with his livestock and with his family. But guess what happened? All of it was taken. Right? There's a verse that talks about the God that gave was the same God who took away. But I want to read a verse and listen at verse 22 of chapter 1. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Even though everything was taken for Job, what was his response? God, I still trust in you. His wife even said, curse God. But he wouldn't. Why? How could Job do that? I believe because his faith was a faith that persevered. His faith was one that lasted. He believed that God was real to him. And that he was worth suffering for. Some of you will feel like God has given you more than you can handle right now. But I want to read these verses to you. Be patient. Trust in the Lord. Look how it describes it, right? And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. So many times we're focused on our purpose, our will, and our way. But as we read God's word, what does it constantly challenge us to do? To surrender our will, to give up our way and say, God, my life is yours. I trust your plan and your purpose. Look how it describes the Lord. He is compassionate and merciful. But the devil, he sneaks in and tells us lies, doesn't he? The Lord doesn't appear merciful and compassionate when these things are going on, but he is. He never changes. 
So be patient like the farmer. Be patient like the prophets. Be patient like Job. As we wrap up, look at verse 12. And I'll be honest, at first when I was reading this, it kind of felt out of place. I, I was like, okay, I get one through six is the warning to the rich, and I get that seven kind of through 11 seems to fit, but why verse 12? Well, let's read it first. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, for many years, I've always kind of thought this verse to be, right, that when someone asks me a question, right, I need my yes to be yes and my no to be no. You ever been there? You ask someone, hey, will I see you on Friday night? And they shake their head yes, and you're thinking, I don't know about that. I don't know if I trust that. So I've always been very cautious of when someone asks me, hey, can you do this to let my what? Yes be yes, and my no mean no. And that's kind of how I've interpreted this. But this verse, as I read it and as I studied it in the context of this passage this week, I think James has a little bit more for us to catch, right? What were the verses immediately before it? What, were, what was he talking about? The hardship, the pain, the endurance, the patience through this. How many of you have ever been in that when you've maybe made a promise or bargain with God? Hey, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do this. And we say things we really don't mean, don't we? To get out of the heat, if you will, the purifying fire that God is giving us in our lives. Don't make bargains with God. And I know that's hard because as the trials come, we wiggle and we squirm and we're trying to get out of it. But I want us to know, right, as James talks about in chapter 1, that these trials produce endurance. This is how we walk and we grow with God. As a student pastor, I see young men and women give their lives to Christ. And it's an incredible thing, right? And you see this transformation from darkness into light. You see God working in their lives. But you also can see the immaturity, right, of baby believers, well, also as a pastor, sometimes you see adults that show a little bit of immaturity, right? And I have these moments all the time. And I just sometimes, I catch myself saying, man, I wish, right, that I had the maturity like someone who's known the Lord for 30 years, right? I wish I had that understanding of many of our older saints of God in the room. But let me tell you, there's no shortcuts in the Christian walk. How do you get that 30 years of experience? It's by walking with the Lord for 30 years. It's by walking through the hard times. It's by God holding your hand whenever you're ready to give up. It's by you putting your complete faith and trust in Him. So I urge us this morning, no matter if life is going good right now, or if you feel like you're the one who's struggling, you're the one who's enduring this hardship, that you would continue to trust in him. And I know that as we walked through those warnings to the rich, some of those may have not hit you. But if one of them did, this morning that we would respond accordingly. Right? I had the privilege of preaching the passage about being a doer of the word. 
and how God's word is like a mirror. And I hope this morning that as I've shined or we've turned, right, and you've looked into God's perfect law of liberty, that it is working on our hearts this morning. I pray that as we are reading this book, right, it's very practical, but it calls us to action. Right? I think of some of the words that as Pastor Roger, as Pastor Brad and Bob have shared, right, that faith takes a risk. Faith submits. Faith is obedient. That that is our hearts this morning. That as we walk out of here that we don't just say, oh, good sermon. Right? But that we truly know that God is calling us to change. So as I wrap up this morning. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment with no one else looking around. I want you to truly think, what has God spoken to me this morning? Am I going through this hard time? And have I honored God with the things I can control? Am I just angry and upset? Am I grumbling? Because I'm looking around and seeing God bless others, but I'm going through this hard time. Are we guilty of living in the luxury and self-indulgence? Hard, hard truth this morning. But James writes this to them so that they may change. He's encouraging them to keep the faith. And that is my encouragement to you this morning. Keep the faith. Because our God is faithful. Our God is worthy. He is a God of love and mercy. But also a God of justice. And this sin that is running rampant in our world judgment is coming I think that's also why he wrote this to the believers so that they would see the urgency to tell the lost world that the only hope is in Jesus Christ so how will we respond this morning what will we do with what we've heard I pray that we act